1: news headquarters in New York City always seeking solutions never sowing division it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: okay that is my cue to talk hi everyone Brian Kilmead here Patrick Murphy coming up a little bit later the 32nd Under Secretary of the Army Iraq war vet former congressman from Pennsylvania a Democrat too but I want to talk to him about what's going on with the recruiting this woke uh, philosophy, the threat of China and what's going on with China and Russia and the and the pledge they have to each other. And where's this administration handing Bruce Springsteen a medal? I know there's got to be some other time. you got to do that. I know there's ceremonial uh, uh, aspects to being president. I, I'm all for that. But you got to do the job, too. The president's approval rating now 38 percent because most of you, even those who voted for him, feel as though he's not at a very critical time in many different ways. But it's all correctable. And there's a lot of action today in Washington, D.C. as well, as well as New York City. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com.
3: Number three.
4: TikTok is almost like the new telecommunications infrastructure of the world, if you allow it to be. Would you allow a Chinese company to become or own AT&T and Verizon? No, No. we have laws against that.
2: Yes, we have laws against that, and we're not going to do it. So here you go. That is uh, Tristan Harris. He's uh, one of the foremost experts on social media in the nation. Ban it. TikTok CEO is on Capitol Hill. uh, High stakes today. He's going to get a grilling from both sides. At stake, the future access to Americans. And if we're serious about competing with China and our national security matters to you, like it does Norway, India, Netherlands and Italy, ban it. Number two.
5: You know, he was laughing and he was good humored about it and said he kind of liked DeSanctimonious, though he couldn't spell it. DeSantis says, you know, I got, I'm got, i putting points on the board. In other words, he's emphasizing the fact that he has a record in Florida that he's proud of. So he seems content for now to deal with Trump in that way.
2: I have no problem with that. Britt Hume with his incident analysis, always great. Trump team comes out, guns a After Governor DeSantis leveled some subtle shots at the former president, most of the attacks won't stick, though, as few would believe that DeSantis was pro-lockdown and Mitt Romney clone? Really? Hey, Gov, after this, you might as well just make it official and climb aboard and declare that you are in as a candidate.
6: Number
1: one.
7: I think Alvin Bragg may be going back to what he initially thought when he first won the job, which was he shouldn't bring this case. So the fundamental question is, what changed? President Trump announces he's running for president.
2: That changed. Jim Jordan yesterday. Delay. A mystery why grand jury did not meet in New York City in the case of Donald Trump and the hush payments. But grand jury will be meeting today beginning at noon. Is an indictment next or is Alvin Bragg going to blow up the grand jury? Because the grand jury evidently heard from Costello, uh, Robert Costello, the former attorney to Uh, Michael Cohen proved that he was lying again, talked about his track record in his past. And reportedly, according to great sources that we have here at Fox News, the grand jury was no longer looking to indict the president. Also, it was brilliant of the president last weekend to come out and just say Saturday. I'm going to be indicted because it put all the pressure on Alvin Bragg. He wasn't going to sneak it in and make the announcement, call on, call down to Mar-a-Lago and have to deal with 12 hours of scrutiny now he's got a deal and maybe applause and pats on the back from people in his party. Now he's looking around here in the commentary and see a lot of Democrats say, really? Is this the case they are going to break 230 years of American history? We're going to indict a former president, even one that was in scandal in the past. We've never done that before. Bill Clinton, Paula Jones, hush money, Hillary Clinton, dossier, giant John F. Kennedy. Had he survived all the affairs that he had that sacrifice sacrificed? security? Was he blackmailed? All the things that went on, we never even after the Civil War indicted people, let alone now. Lincoln thought it was important to keep people together. Nixon had problems with the way Kennedy ran his election and what happened in Illinois. Word is, and some people confirm that the mob basically paid off and delivered Illinois to give JFK the presidency. Nixon turned around and said, yeah, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to jeopardize the country's security for that. But yeah, Alvin Bragg, the 39-year-old district attorney, financed by George Soros over a million dollars to win a campaign that many people didn't even focus on. That's what he's going to look at. So we don't know what the delay was, but I think a lot of the delay has to be with the grand jury. It's usually seeing just one side. They indict and then they try. But now they can't even get to the indictment. Joe Tacopina, Trump's attorney on the chaos. Cut one.
8: The grand jury proceeding is the DA's proceeding. It's not a a joint proceeding. It's something that they use as a mechanism to bring a charge. Um, It's a formality for the most part. Um, but, But we don't know what's going on. But I can tell you. There appears to be chaos in that office right now, as there should be, Mm -hmm. because the Manhattan district attorney's office was once the pinnacle of prosecutor's office in this country. Um, You know, now it's it's something that's being used as a political tool. And and when I see the justice system and a prosecutor's office being used to weaponize um, the justice system against an individual, it makes me sick to my stomach as a former
9: prosecutor. I could never have imagined this.
2: I, mean, I wouldn't be for Barack Obama. I wouldn't do it for Bill Clinton. I wouldn't look for that. I don't care what party you're in. If it's egregious and you do what Oberdor does seemingly and you sold your soul to the cartels to stay in power and you want to prosecute that, that's not what this is. This is something that happened 17 years ago. The president wins an election, loses an election, goes back to try to win an election, and now you bring it up. And the person that's bringing it forward is his former attorney who just lied again when he said that Robert Costello – never had an attorney-client privilege, and he never signed it over. Robert Costello on Tucker's show the other night picks up a paper and said, this is the signature of Michael Cohen releasing me from the attorney-client privilege. So if he's lying as late as last week, when is he not lying? I know sometimes Sammy the Bull's got to turn on John Gotti. There are no winners. But this guy's not even Sammy the Bull. Listen to Alan Dershowitz, a liberal attorney. Cut seven. I have never seen a case in my 60 years of practice which has so many holes in it.
10: Start with the statute of limitations. It's seven years before he committed the
2: crime. The New York State statute says the only exception for that is if his whereabouts were unknown. I have to tell you, even Bragg could have found
10: him. He was in the White House. Well, there are photographs of him at his
2: house on the street. He was not continuously out of New York. I don't see how you can twist and turn to make the statute of limitations disappear, and then you have all the other. How many holes are there? Shall I count the ways to count the quote the poet? I have never seen a weaker case. We got to get Alan Dershowitz a better home studio, Uh, don't you think, guys? I mean, come on, it sounds terrible. That's for television. But just show you how crazy this is. You know about the Mar-a-Lago and the documents. I don't care where you stand. Just know that he brought his documents back. He put it in full review, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I think. He had a bunch of interns take some boxes, put them on a um, Marine One to Air Force One, I think, for the final time, or Trump Force One. Goes down to Mar-a-Lago. Six months later, they say, guys, what would you do with all the documents? He gives him about 20 boxes back. They go, what about the rest? They're going back and forth. Next thing you know, there's an FBI raid. So then they look at the Penn Center. What if six months later? Turns out they talk about classified documents. That's what Joe Biden's got. Then they find classic docu- uh, classified documents in his garage next to his classic Corvette. Then they find every where Hoboth. And then they still raid the lawyer's office in Boston. So they put two special prosecutors on both cases. Mike Pence is being investigated, too, because he had some, too. But guess what? They're going after Trump like he is uh, John Gotti and Al Capone. Turns out he's got an attorney, Evan Corcoran. Evan Corcoran representing him in this case. A judge just ruled, uh, an appeals court just ruled, that he has got to come in for testimony in front of a grand jury. Excuse me. He's the president's attorney. Why does he have to go in and give up his client? Since when is that? Why is Paul Manafort and Salary Church Feynman over stuff that he never did? Why are they raiding these the, every house that did something to do with Trump but when it comes to Biden, we don't even get an investigation or follow through. When it comes to Hunter, so Evan Corcoran has to go in and talk to a grand jury and talk about attorney-client privilege. Are you crazy? Why? What is? Why is that okay? This is how many investigations are there and how aggressive they're, be, uh, they're being. Trump said fifty-four percent approve of marrying and Republicans. He's got a uh, he's got a rally in Waco, Texas that I think every network will carry to a degree, and I think it's only to a degree. I think he's happy about what's going on, but only to a degree. Nobody's happy. He's got a young son, a teenager. No one's happy that their dad's going to be brought in, mugshotted, and get uh, fingerprinted. You know, no, no wife is happy that their husband's doing that. No kids are happy that that's happening. Nobody wants to do deals with the Trump, the Trump organization, wants to know that the founder and CEO is uh, being indicted or is indicted. So it's only to a degree. Maybe he helps him get the nomination. We'll see. Uh, The other big story is uh, sitting down with Pierce Morgan, uh, Governor DeSantis felt it was a good time to go up and and just start firing back at uh, the former president. Here is a little of the exchange. This is on the differences between him and Trump. Cut 12.
7: People have been quite kind of scathing. They've said you're house-trained Donald, you're Diet Coke to his full Coke, right? You've heard all this stuff. What are the differences between you? When I know what I, I know him very well. I'm, having now spent time with you, I, I could immediately identify a few differences. But what do you think of the differences? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I mean, obviously,
11: you know, the, the approach to COVID w- was different. I mean, you know, I would have fired somebody like Fauci. Uh, I think that he got way too big for his britches. And I think he did a lot of damage. Uh, I also think just in terms of my approach to leadership, you know, I get personnel in the government who have the agenda of the people and share our agenda. If you bring your own agenda in, you're gone. We're just not going to have that. So the way we run the government, I think, is no daily drama, focus on the big picture, and put points on the board. And I think that that's something that's very important.
2: Kind of interesting, correct? So he torn out differences in a very calm manner. So immediately last night, I got a text message from the Trump camp, and I'm not saying it's 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 exclusive, but I'll just share it with you. So immediately they give um, they give the what I think is their best opposition research, and you know I'll share it for you when when we come back because it is detailed. And by the time I get into it, I think I'll end up running in and not be able to take any calls. 1-866-408-7669. Essentially, all the opposition research that I think they have on him, they gave it out last night. He's not even officially a candidate. I don't know what kind of tactic that is. Let's wait and see. Brian Kilmeade.
1: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: You know, he was laughing and he was good-humored about it and said he kind of liked Desanctimonious, though he couldn't spell it. Uh, so far, his response to Trump and his jabs at Trump have been an exercise really in deflection. He just hasn't risen to the bait. And Trump throws out these insults, some of them kind of crude, um, and so on. And DeSantis says, you know, I got, I'm putting points on the board. In other words, he's emphasizing the fact that he has a record in Florida that he's proud of, not to mention the reelection that he just enjoyed it by nearly 20 points. So he seems content for now to deal with Trump in that way. Well, I mean, Trump's got his own tactics.
2: It worked in 2016. It didn't work in 2020, but he had just one person to go against and the guy wouldn't come out of his basement but he went aggressively at Ron DeSantis after the Pierce Morgan interview. He said this. Now that Ron DeSantis has finally admitted he's in a race by beginning to fight back, now that the the polls have crashed as he has no other choice. He's about half where the president is. president's at 54. He's roughly 36. Uh, so he says he is an average governor. He gets 1.2 million less votes in Florida than me. He fought for massive cuts in Social Security and Medicare, wanted Social Security minimum age to be raised to 70 or more. Okay, number one. He did want to look early on at uh, at entitlements. I think any responsible person is, but let's see him fight for that. Number two is he does not want to raise. I've never heard anybody say he wants to raise the age of 70, but I am looking out for that. He's a disciple of Paul Ryan and did what Ryan told him to do. Florida has been successful for many years, long before I put Ron there. It's amazing what Ocean and Sunshine will do. Now, a disciple of Paul Ryan, him and Paul Ryan got along, no doubt about it. Paul Ryan is the most was the most conservative, fiscally conservative guy in Congress, period, to the point where people wouldn't even want to campaign with him because if they had to win in a purple state, he would be looked at as too conservative. He says it's amazing. Okay, meanwhile, he said Ron was a big lockdown governor of the China virus. There is no way he was a lockdown governor of the China virus, sealing all beaches and everything else an extended period of time. That is not right. Was the third worst in the nation for COVID-19 deaths. 86,294, third worst for the total number of cases, 7 million. Other Republican governors did much better than Ron and Baldo because I allowed them the freedom. Remember, I left that decision up to governors, COVID deaths per state. Ron, as governor, did worse than New York in the education. Florida ranks among the worst in the country, Uh, third worst in murder, third worst in rape, third worst in aggravated assault. In 2022, Jacksonville is ranked number one of the top 25 crime cities in the country. Uh, with Tampa and Orlando not much better in education florida ranked number 39 in health and safety in the country affordability is number 50 and number 30 in education and child care uh, hardly greatness so this is his entire opposition research uh, what is is great this is on substance however what i would do if i was in first and if i was the former president and I felt as though my policies had inflation down to zero, no international conflicts, no invasion of Ukraine, had a trade deal with China on the table. Uh, also, when it came to COVID and opening up, the lack of mandates, that's what president was about. He never would have mandated the vaccine, never would have mandated lockdowns after the initial 15 days to slow the spread. That's what I'd be running on. I wouldn't I'd be running on my relationship with other nations. I'd be running on my relationship with the Abraham Accords, with my relationship with Saudi Arabia, the ability to isolate Iran. That's what I'd be running on. This is all opposition research that could come out through surrogates. But that's Trump. Trump makes up his own uh, rules. Let's see if it'll be effective. Trump has a lot to discuss. Chris Bedford weighed in on the on the flourishing friction between the two. Cut 18.
5: He's got that great advantage. If you go to Iowa, where DeSantis and Donald Trump have been in the last two weeks, DeSantis is still only drawing a couple hundred people, which is a lot more than anyone else except for Donald Trump. Everywhere he goes, thousands and thousands of people still show up. There are still lines out front. Because the GOP is so stupid, generally, the the professional class, these are the only two candidates who are running in the populist lane. So it's going to be up to them to try and figure out who's going to be the nominee. Donald Trump's got the excitement, but DeSantis, I think, does have a better team.
2: Uh, a better team, got the uh, new generation of leadership. And the question is, if I'm Trump, this is is what I'd be saying. This is what I need to do to get moderates, independents, and undecideds. This is what's going to be different this time. And as DeSantis creeped up, then eventually come debate time, I would say, okay, I'm going to send out a few of my surrogates out there to to, uh, go. I'm going to send Lindsey Graham out there to beat up on DeSantis. I'm going to go send – Governor McMaster of South Carolina to beat up on DeSantis. I'm going to go send Devin Nunes out there to beat up on DeSantis. If, and if I'm DeSantis, I kind of like what he's doing. He's saying that this is my different leadership. I get people around that weren't going to cut me, stab me in the back. I do better job hiring personnel. If you're selfish, you're out. You wouldn't be hard to begin with. So I'm going to try to take the Florida blueprint everywhere, take on woke, take on education. I would do that. And if Trump just gets overwhelming with the labeling and the imprinting, then I'd go back. These are two. These are two formidable candidates. Two very skilled in their own separate ways, and I think that at one point, DeSantis has got to come up and said, you know, how many problems does this guy have, you know, Mar a Lago, uh, the the uh, what's going on in with Georgia and the votes, you know, what's happening with his business, what's happening with uh, Stormy Daniels, and then I would say, listen, this has got so much baggage going on. It's hard to imagine to be able to uh, get anything done, but I think there's a way to do it. I'm pretty amazed, number one. I'm pretty amazed that other people haven't gotten out of single digits. I do know that Tim Scott is going to declare, I think, early next week. He's got some major events planned and a visit to New Hampshire in in April. But first, for will be Iowa. It'll be interesting to see who, who gets some heat. A lot of talent.
1: Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: People from the humblest beginnings can achieve great things, no matter your skin color or your creed. I mean, we have ticker tape parades for people who serve this country. That's what the military is all about. This divisive ideology is hurting recruitment. They're asking for $114 million, Laura, for just programming for DEI, six-figure salaries for DEI, you know, consultants in the military. This stuff has no place. You know, we need a military that stands ready to defeat China to, you know, it's it's, you mentioned it. They are building islands in the South China Sea. They're fully weaponized. Nobody in communist China is deterred by all this DEI training. We need a lethal fighting force and focused on that as opposed to this sort of woke politics that the Biden administration is hell bent on injecting.
2: Changing the whole culture of the military at a time in which we're only giving 3% of our budget there. It needs to be six, and China's doing seven. Uh, That was Senator Eric Schmidt, just uh, flabbergasted. You'll hear some of his testimony in exchanges with Pentagon officials yesterday. Another person exasperated by the whole thing is the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, former congressman, Democrat, Patrick Murphy. Uh, Patrick, welcome back.
12: Brian, thanks so much for having me back on. Pal, I appreciate it.
2: Hey, no problem. We're we're we're, we're, way, we're way off. Outside the Marines, I understand we are way off our recruiting goals. What's the What's the problem?
12: Well, the problem is, Brian, from the jump, over seventy percent of young Americans can't even join the military because of the obesity crisis in America, drug use in America, mental health issues. I mean, it, it, it's a systemic issue in American society. We we have to be fit to fight. Uh, and and I think we need a culture of service in this country. That hey, listen, I, I served in the military. My brother served. My dad served. My two grandfather served. The reality of it is this: is that seventy percent of the folks that serve in the military come from military families. We got to change that dynamic. Everyone should be expected to serve. Not a draft. Not everyone has to go to the military service. But whether it's Teach for America or well, whatever it is, doctor, you know, we, we need folks to at least give a year or two to this nation to that, that set the tone. That we're we're all together as a country to, to solve not just our community and our country's problems, but unfortunately when needed, the world's problems.
2: We can't even get people to get to, to delete the TikTok
12: app. Brent, this this drives me crazy. I mean, the fact that like you know people you know I've been on your show talking to you, with Fox and friends, talking about hey we're worried about these Chinese balloons, which we should worry about it right? But there's surveillance going on right now on our on our iPhones and our Androids. Uh, and our kids. There's over 100 million kids, and then we have members of Congress that are, oh, it's no big deal. Who cares? Well, it's Facebook. It, it's like you don't understand. Facebook isn't owned by America. We we regulate companies. We're like a referee, but we don't regulate. We don't own. They're their private entities, private companies. That's not the that's not the how the world is over in China. China owns TikTok, bike dance. And, and so we better wake up. I mean, they have, you know, we we talk about a whole government approach in America. We need a whole nation approach. When we talk about our adversaries, we don't even talk about, you know, the, these numbers of Congress say, oh, it's a no big deal about TikTok in China. What do you mean it's a no big deal? Do you, do you like the fact that there's 1.5 million Muslims in captivity and concentration camps uh, over in China where they're, where they're producing the majority of their cotton that, you know, that the sell to the rest of the world in manufacturing? I mean, I mean, come on. We got to wake up as this country. Now, we have the greatest country in the world. We have the number one military in the world. So we're in an economy in the world, but that's not our God-given right. We got to earn that every day.
2: So, Senator Eric Schmidt uh, took on uh, this Pentagon official about DEI and, and the and the reason why they're prioritizing. When I mean, we need people in there, can we just focus on war fighting and less about equity and inclusion? Here's a little of that exchange. And here we
6: are in a committee hearing when China is like militarizing islands. They mean business. And we're having to spend time to talk about DOD's $114 million budget request for diversity, equity, inclusion, training. This stuff is nuts. It is naive to believe that this is not divisive among recruits or people in the military. What does ensuring equity mean?
2: I mean, and then, you know, we're debating on should we be paying money for transition if people want to transition to another gender while serving? I mean, this is ridiculous.
12: Ryan, this is, this, is, this is my problem. What America doesn't even realize is that our military is more diverse than America. You know, when I served at 19, I remember I was dating a girl from Bucks County, uh, and, and her dad said to me, Patrick, why would you join the Army? You know, why would you do ROTC? I'm like, because you're in the dean's list. You're the captain of hockey teams as a sophomore. Why would you do this? I said, hey, sir, I'm, I'm going to be an officer. I'm going to be a lieutenant. I'm going to lead 40 men and women. 49% of my generation of veterans are people of color. We've cracked the code. We are diverse and we don't need, you know, we don't need extra programs. We we are doing what we need to do um, and and our folks are staying in. What we do need, though, is more Americans to raise their right hand and say, I want to take a note to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to put on the cloth of our country, to, to grab a rifle and to learn how to be a warrior.
2: It would be great, uh, and hopefully we'll start doing that again and start selling it to the people and offer the packages to make it a, a good alternative. Uh, Patrick Murphy is with us now, the 32nd Under Secretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, uh, military officer. So now I want you to hear about the threat that we just witnessed over the weekend, the reaffirmation of an of a alliance between Russia and China, and they claim it's going to be a reconfiguring of world leadership for the first time in 100 years. This is how General Jack Keene assessed what we're looking at right now. Cut 40.
5: And for those who are worried about China as being our number one threat, that will force the United States to put more forces and more resources into Europe at the expense of our focus to China. And then we have China. If, if Russia wins, China wins. And that, that will incentivize them. And certainly Taiwan is is in their near-term objective. And we've already seen what their behavior is and how comprehensive it is. We have never faced a threat like China, in our history. It is so comprehensive. It touches every aspect, economic, technological, military, and geopolitical.
2: Patrick, I just think the war in Ukraine, for the Ukrainians to be successful, uh, means everything. A lot of people say it's a distraction. You heard General Jack Keane. He says, absolutely not. I agree 100% with him. Where do you stand?
12: I, I stand with General Keane, too. And here we, we have to wake up as our, in a, our great country, to realize that we have the largest country in Asia, which is China, breathing down our neck, competing with us um, with hostile intent. Uh, we have Russia, the largest country in Europe. They annexed Crimea years ago. We go push the EU to say, "Hey, guys and gals, you guys got to step up. And do two percent of your defense spending it has to be tied to your GDP? Come on, like that. that you got to you got to put in here." And then Russia invades Ukraine, and then this year, a year later. The, U, the overwhelming majority of the EU countries aren't even spending 2% of their GDP on defense. I mean, Brian, it's crazy. I, I get it. America, you know, the rest of the world says, well, America is the policeman of the world, right? But we shouldn't be the bankers neither. I mean, they they got to put skin in the game as well. Only seven of the 30 EU countries have 2% of their GDP tied to defense spending. That is not fair. It's not reasonable. They got to do more. It can't always be America leading the way and and funding this. Um,
2: I I hear you. And the only thing that's going to do that is to go public with it. Instead, we get a different message from the White House saluting Germany for what they're doing. And what I see in The Washington Post and New York Times today, I point out those two publications aren't exactly hard on this administration. But the one consistency that both have today, they both say the weapons are not getting to the Ukrainians fast enough, swift enough. The promises are not being fulfilled. The tanks are not getting there. The Abrams A one A one tanks are not getting there till the fall, and that's six months earlier than we thought. Since when the Marines gave up all their tanks? Why can't we use some of them? Why can't we send them over quickly?
12: Listen, I, Brian, I used to be stationed in Baumholder, Germany, uh, and Kaiserslautern and and, and elsewhere. Uh, and I served in Europe when we stopped the worst ethnic cleansing in Europe since World War II, when they we were killing Muslims in town, like, towns like Srebrenica and Bosnia. Uh, and and we didn't lose one troop to combat troops. Europe then said, hey, part of it is it's logistics. I mean, amateurs want to talk strategy, experts talk logistics. Brian, and logistics are getting the tanks there. It is hard, and that's why we had to put pressure on Germany to give their tanks, as we're doing, you know, the the Abrams tanks. We're doing our fair share. We've put over $30 billion already, uh, at least, into in the Ukraine fight. Uh, we've trained troops in Poland. We were doing all we can. We need these other countries, though, to stand up and, and do their fair share. Uh, and I think that's what most Americans in Bucks County and across this country, they are ticked off because they they see it. They're like, why is it our sons and daughters fighting extreme terrorists? Why is it our, why is it our taxpayers? funding these things. And when we have, you know, Brian, what I call the cringe. You know what the cringe is? The cringe is China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and global extremists. And I think the rest of the world looks at America, well, hey, y'all just take care of it. You're a great country. Yeah, we're a great country because we're a good country. And we don't want to see bad things happen to innocent people. But there's bad things happening when there's 1.5 Muslims being in concentration camps, being raped, being tortured, being sterilized by their economy, by them with the international property theft, cybersecurity threats, cybersecurity um, actions, direct actions against our country. And the same with North Korea, the same with Russia. And we better wake up. We we are the reluctant warrior, but we got to do better. We got to do better.
2: Uh, Absolutely. But it comes from the top. It's got to come from leadership. And there's so much bipartisan agreement. When it comes to TikTok, when it comes to China. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of disparity. But for the most part, we get it. How to do it is the big question. It almost reminds me of the Cold War, where everyone knew the Soviets were the threat. They just different way to engage that threat. This could be a unifying moment, Patrick, for the right leader. And I hope people realize we don't have to be divided on everything. And lastly, 20 years since the Iraq war, what are your reflections?
12: Yeah, first of all, Brian, can kind of I just say, that's why I appreciate having me on. You know, you know, I'm a proud Democrat. I'm what's called a Kennedy Democrat. I appreciate you having me on. Sure. We don't agree with everything, but we agree on America. Um, my reflections are this. I lost 19 of my brothers. I was called paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne Division. We were part of the evasion force. Uh, and we all, the ones that came home, we all have survivors. guilt. I try to make every single day count for my brothers and sisters and the ones that were lucky enough to come home. The fact that we got to make it better for them and remember their memory and and the folks that made it home. Um, you know, I don't wanna ever victimize my brothers and veterans. Veterans are civic assets in this nation. Our veterans, Brian, are more likely to be employed. They're more likely to start a small business, but a small business to be successful. They're more likely to vote in elections, no matter what their political persuasion. They're more likely to be pastors in their churches and little league volunteers, coaches. And, and I'll tell you, all you see on TV is well for twenty dollars a month you can help these poor veterans we're, listen, we have an ethic. We leave no one behind. And there's too many that take their own life by suicide, that are homeless, and we got to address that. But we also got to talk about, Brian, what about the great veterans from years past? What about veterans that are starting their own small business? The most iconic global brands were started by veterans. Look at you know, Comcast, Walmart, Nike. All those companies were started by veterans. My generation of Iraq-Afghanistan veterans, companies like IBM started by West Blanca. I mean, Blake Hall. That's what we got to tell to. And, into. Patrick, you, you brought up a great point.
2: Tilda Tower is an awesome Wounded Warrior project, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Folds of Honor, awesome. But the perception is, the number one, I was talking to Dan Rooney about this. He's a founder of Folds of Honor, a fighter pilot. And he said the perception is the only reason people don't want to go, the number one objection, they don't want to die. And they said, yeah. you know, the chances are you dying is there's more of a chance of staying home and living a civilian life than you are dying in the military. And he tried right. to explain that to people, but at the same time, you want to help the wounded and the survivors. But sometimes you sell so much, you think everyone dies and everyone's wounded, and it and it's right. not the case. So I I get it. it's a if people care so much, maybe they're and they try so hard, maybe they're the they're hurting the recruiting message. But uh, I, I'll figure that, you know, there's ways to figure around that.
12: Pat- well, well, let's work together now. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. We, we, we need more young Americans. I mean, you know, when I ran the Army in 2017 I helped run the Army, we had 120,000 new recruits come in. We hit our recruitment goals. We got to go back, you know, be all you could be. You know, the Army will change you for the better, the military. I mean, I always joke, Brian, as you know, I say the Army is America's varsity team. My Marine and Navy buddies, they give me a hard time about that because I say, hey, you guys are in the JV team, you couldn't make in the Army. But that's brothers and sisters joking. The reality of it is, though, we do need young men and women, leaders of character, to join our force, to serve our country, and take that out to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America.
2: All right, go get them. Uh, Patrick Murphy, always great and insightful and inspirational to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. When we come back, your calls, one Brian Kilmeachow.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
4: TikTok is almost like the new telecommunications infrastructure of the world, if you allow it to be. Would you allow a Chinese company to become or own AT&T and Verizon? No, No, we have laws against that. But if you suddenly say... This uh, is a Chinese uh, Communist Party-influenced company that is running the communications of the entire Western world. It doesn't matter where the data is stored, right? It doesn't matter whether – there's this whole thing called Project Texas where the CEO of TikTok is saying, don't worry, Americans, because we're going to store the data in Texas. That doesn't change the fact that they can control the entire moral consensus of the world. They can change who – if if a war starts in Taiwan, what people would believe about it.
2: So that was Tristan – Uh, That was uh, Tristan Harris yesterday, and I just spoke to him on Fox and Friends, too. He's uh, one of the social media experts like nobody else. You've seen him on 60 Minutes. You've seen him on Social Dilemma. And he said, of course, you got to ban TikTok during the Soviet Union, U.S. Soviet, uh, the U.S. Soviet Union clash during the Cold War. Would we have allowed the Soviet Union to buy Verizon? Of course not. So why would we even allow this today? Plus, we already caught TikTok was spying on our reporters. They're trying to figure out who was leaking facts about TikTok. So they were looking at the IP address of reporters to find out when they got close to anybody uh, in TikTok. And they apologize later. That's not going to work. Steve, uh, listening over in Florida, Steve, you were focusing on what we were talking about recruiting. And by the way, just let me say this. I got this podcast. I talked to Tristan Harris for an hour with Martha McCallum, and the, it's on a podcast, it, or just just this interview. For every parent, for every user wondering about TikTok, Instagram, what, how social media is affecting your lives, you have to listen to this. Also, chat box, uh, uh, chat bot, uh, uh, GBT. That is now out. This for this uh, or oh, this AI, artificial intelligence, is so dangerous. It's so unregulated. You need people right now, before it gets totally out of control. Involved. He explains what it is and what it's capable of. It is wild. Uh, Steve, listening in Florida. Hey, Steve.
7: Hey, how are you today, Brian? I was listening to the conversation you were having with uh, the congressman and uh,
2: Patrick Murphy. It's
7: amazing. They always uh. Uh, bring in, you know, the top recruiting commands to see what the issue is. Uh, The system changed about two and a half, three years ago, to where now uh, the military medical have access to every recruit's uh, personal record that they have uh, in medical. So if you were a five-year-old and you had bronchitis and pneumonia and – your doctor gave you an inhaler or God forbid you touch ADT medications or anything, it requires a waiver. And in the air force, uh, it takes over six to 12 months to get that any waiver through. And the Navy and Marines are about the same, uh, that, and my daughter-in-law I'm retired Navy 30 years. And my daughter-in-law is a recruiter for the air force. And? And, uh, she says point blank, this medical thing is going to destroy uh, how we get people in and who is qualified and not qualified. Uh,
2: well, See, that's great. I, I love learning stuff from you guys. I would never know that unless somebody who knew the business like you uh, called in. So I'll look into that. I also talked to people up in Saratoga and upstate New York, and they couldn't believe how bad the quality was from people coming forward. Um, I mean, not saying that you don't deserve a second chance in life, but if you're a, uh, an alcoholic, drug addict, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't be in the Marines.
1: Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Everyone, welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world, just getting out of the shower. He wants me to buy him a little time, Mark Thiessen. So I'll do that, Mark. And Bill Browder at the bottom of the hour, the Hermitage Capital CEO, Uh, head of the global uh, Magnitsky justice campaign. Remember, he was in Russia when they they were pretending to be somewhat capitalistic, and he had a business over there, and they decided he was getting too big. So they tried to threaten him and just basically arrested his lawyer when they couldn't get him, and he got tortured and died in prison. And Bill Browder has made it his mission to get revenge, and we love it, and bring justice to Vladimir Putin. Bill Browder on the situation now with Russia and that alliance. We'll discuss that while following the beginning of TikTok hearings. The CEO has just spoken before going into the hearing room is supposed to last about five hours today in front of the Energy and Commerce Committee. And he's going to get some tough questions and there's going to be no breather. I don't think from Democrats and Republicans are equally incensed about their potential, but respectful of their popularity. So let's get to the big three.
4: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
13: Number three.
4: TikTok is almost like the new telecommunications infrastructure of the world, if you allow it to be. Would you allow a Chinese company to become or own AT&T and Verizon? No, No. we have laws against that.
2: Yeah, TikTok CEO uh, on Capitol Hill right now, as I mentioned, if we are serious about competing with the Chinese and our national security matters, we'll do what Norway, India, Netherlands, and Italy is about to do, and that is ban it.
5: Number two. You know, he was laughing and he was good-humored about it and said he kind of liked desanctimonious though so he couldn't spell it. DeSantis says, you know, I got, I'm got i putting points on the board. In other words, he's emphasizing the fact that he has a record in Florida that he's proud of. So he seems content for now to deal with Trump in that way.
2: Yup. Trump team comes out guns a-blazing after DeSantis leveled some subtle shots at the former president. Most of the attacks will not stick on DeSantis because they don't seem true unless you think DeSantis is pro-lockdown and a Mitt Romney clone.
7: Number one. I think Alvin Bragg may be going back to what he initially thought when he first won the job, which was he shouldn't bring this case. So the fundamental question is, what changed? President Trump announces he's running for president.
2: Yeah, that is Jim Jordan. Delay, a mystery, uh, a mystery why grand jury did not meet in New York City yesterday. Word is the grand jury is not on the same page about offering an indictment of the former president of the United States. They're meeting at 12 o'clock today. We'll bring you the latest. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Mark, we got to go by unnamed sources and and different reports to find out what went wrong yesterday for that grand jury that was supposed to be rubber stamping what Alvin Bragg wanted. That was an indictment of the president. What do you
5: think happened?
8: I have no idea what happened in the grand jury room. I can tell you that you know the famous uh, phrase that you uh, you get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. uh, If if they if he can't get an indictment, then that means the case is pretty weak, and it is weak. Uh, It's it's a it's a ridiculous case, Uh, but it could be the best thing that ever happened to Donald Trump, uh, because uh, the reality is this is this is going to cause him to uh, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans, to rally around him. Uh, because uh, the, reality, the reality is that a lot of look, the polls show that uh, that, you know, majority of uh, majority of Republicans don't want him to be the nominee, but he still remains popular with the Republicans. The polls show that he uh, has an approval rating of like 75, 77 percent among Republicans. So That means there's a significant number of Republicans who like Donald Trump, who approve of his presidency, but think it's time to move on. And so they, they don't ha- they don't share the hatred of Trump that the left has. And so, when when you have another like the politicization of 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 the justice system in this way, uh, it it causes some of those people to rally around the president, um, makes it more likely that he's going to win the GOP nomination because uh, there there are people who may not may not love the idea of Donald Trump being the nominee, but they also don't like love the idea of our country turning into a banana republic where we weaponize the justice system to go go after people's political opponents. So yeah, uh, it has that rallying effect.
2: Fox News Josie says two sources from familiar with the situation inside the grand jury said it was canceled amid major discussion dissension within the district attorney's office. One source claims the DA is having trouble convincing the grand jury on potential charges due to the weakness of the case. Part of it is a letter that now appeared from 2018 where Michael Cohen said he was never reimbursed by the president. Number two is Robert Costello who came out and said, Michael Cohen signed and said, signed a paper saying that I'm no longer representing him. So he passed Uh, on his attorney-client privilege. The day before he denied ever signing it, this guy, Robert Costello, held it up, said the guy's an inveterate liar. So he was supposed to counter Robert Costello. But as you know, this is supposed to be the Harlem Globetrotters playing against the Washington Generals. you are not supposed to have an opponent. You're supposed to just say, hey, guys, look at how bad this case is. Give me the opportunity to try this person. And instead, this is saying uh, we're stuck in... Uh, There's sand in the gears. What I also thought is significant is the number of Democrats who didn't think it was worth it. Now, they're going to reconvene today, and there might be an indictment in a few hours, where Trump evidently said, I want to be handcuffed. Who wants to be handcuffed? The guy's got kids. The guy's got a family. Then nobody wants to see their dad, their grandfather, uh, the candidate they like, the people they look up to handcuffed. Maybe Al Franken would like that. Maybe Democrats would like that. But I was shocked to see... How many Democrats don't seem to think this is a good idea and see what you're seeing? One is Van Jones, cut 10.
9: Anybody is a Republican and they have been afraid that there's some uh, conspiracy, some well-organized conspiracy (laughs) among progressives, Uh, they can uh, relax now because you would not start with this charge. Uh, You would start with the charge in Georgia uh, where he was uh, interfering with elections. You would start with the charge that he was helping the insurrectionists in a coup. You wouldn't start with an eight-year-old porn star payoff. So just, again, uh, this is proof, if nothing else, that the progressives are not very well organized. This is not the one you would start with.
2: Yeah, and it's just not a case, uh, you know. So we'll talk about that. You're not a lawyer, but I will say this, this report this morning that this guy, Evan Corcoran, who's the president's attorney in Mar-a-Lago, he's now forced to testify in front of a D.C. grand jury about what the president was doing. Excuse me. The president's got a lawyer. All of a sudden, you can haul in the president's lawyer. I mean, did they do with the Al Capone with John Gotti? They try his lawyer. There's an ethic violation. They kick you off. But since when are you allowed to do that?
7: Yeah,
8: I mean, it's just all the rules of th- go out the window when it comes to Donald Trump. I mean, they they the left sees the Donald sees Donald Trump as such a threat that any any that you know they they, be, they become what they criticize right. They're destroying—you know, they, they say, what was the charge against Donald Trump? He's destroying our institutions, right? He's, he's a threat to yep. the institutions of our democracy. But then they're destroying the institutions of our democracy going after him, destroying the justice system, weaponizing the justice system to go after their political opponents, to breaking all the rules when it comes to, you know, and precedents when it comes to, you know, indicting a former president and raiding his home uh, when it turns out that Joe Biden had violated—you know,
7: they have violated
8: the same laws that they accuse Trump of violating. It's like none of the rules apply. So all these people who criticize Trump, they're worse than Trump. They, they're doing the exact same thing. Um, I mean, even, even if you look at the media, right? So you know, they, 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 all objectivity went out the window. Uh, when, when Donald Trump was president. And so what's happened is, is that the, the trust in the media has absolutely plummeted. And what, where's the consequence of that? Because when, then when Donald Trump, you know, they, they, they pushed the, the, uh, the, the field dossier and they pushed the, the Mueller probe charges, the conspiracy theory that he had colluded with Russia and all the rest of it, completely destroyed their credibility. And then when Trump falsely claimed that the election was stolen and they said, no, it wasn't, no one believed them because it was the boy who cried wolf. You know, so it's the the destruction to our system has largely come from the from the people who are trying to stop Trump, not necessarily from Trump himself.
2: Governor Ron DeSantis sat down with Pierce Morgan when he realized, I think, uh, what he wasn't willing to do last week. And that is take on the Trump situation. Here's a little of their give and take. Cut 12.
7: People have been quite kind of scathing. They've said your house trained Donald, your Diet Coke to his (laughs) full Coke. Right. You've heard all this stuff. What are the differences between you? Well, I know what I, I know him very well. I'm, having now spent time with you, I, I could immediately identify a few differences. But what do you think of the differences? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I mean, obviously, you know, the,
11: the approach to COVID w- was different. I mean, you know, I would have fired somebody like Fauci. Uh, I think that he got way too big for his britches. And I think he did a lot of damage. Uh, I also think just in terms of my approach to leadership, you know, I get personnel in the government have the agenda of the people and share our agenda If you bring your own agenda in you're gone we're just not going to have that so the way we run the government i think is no daily drama focus on the big picture and put points on the
8: board and i
2: think All right, it so you get an idea important. that that would first off what do you think of his answer
8: I uh, think very good. Uh, I think that he is. If it get when it gets into it, I think that's going to be a major uh, point of attack for for DeSantis. He's going to say, "Look, Donald Trump, em- you know, empowered the biomedical police state. He put Fauci in charge of our economy. I sh- I opened up Florida. Um, he's going to you know take uh, take uh, that, that, that 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 attack on him." But also, you know, when Pierce says, you know, House-trained Donald, I mean, that, that's kind of a crude way of putting it, but I don't think that's unappealing to Republicans. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people would love to have Donald Trump, you know, a lot of Donald Trump's policies without, you right. know, all the chaos and, and, and you know, and, and you know, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, you know, yeah, and, it, a, a, it, an effective Trump who doesn't step in it every day and alienate swing voters all the time, but does, like, all the great things that Trump did, I think that's a great selling point for Republicans. But
2: then, uh, yesterday, it looks like Donald Trump's team emptied their arsenal it says uh you know basically (laughs) I could get you the preamble but in a letter that you may have received it uh it says um he is disciplined he's a disciple of uh okay here he goes Governor uh, got 1.2 million less votes in Florida than me. He fought for massive cuts in Social Security and Medicare. Wanted Social Security minimum age to 70 or more. A disciple of Paul Ryan. Did whatever Ryan told him. Florida has been successful before him. Ron's been a lockdown governor China for the China virus. Sealing all beaches. Uh, third worst in terms of um, uh, deaths, COVID deaths. Third worst for a total number of cases. Uh, then he put him down as an education. Florida ranks uh, highest in crime. Uh, third worst in murder, third worst in rape, third worst in aggravated assault, so I asked the brain room to get confirmation, but so he goes on and on every single thing they have on it's seemingly on him they have out there right now, so he's going to tear apart Florida his record in florida that's a <laughs> quote air quote interesting approach
8: <laughs> it's it's like just it was just like a word vomit i mean it, it literally' it's not even a world that word salad it's it's like the idea that you're going to knock DeSantis for being a, a mediocre governor of Florida, I mean, you know, the guy who just won the state by 20 points, who won independence, uh, won women, who won, won Hispanic. Uh, I mean, the, the people of Florida obviously disagree because it's the largest landslide in, in Florida gubernatorial history. The guy who may—I mean, just compare, you know, Ron DeSantis's handling of Hurricane Ian to Donald Trump's COVID briefings. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's just ridiculous. It, it, he, you know, while while Donald Trump was you know 15 days to, days to stop the spread, became like a national lockdown for months with Fauci imposed lockdown. Florida, he he opened up Florida. He put kids back in school. It has the best best you know. It's the one state that hasn't had the destruction of uh, of, yeah. uh, uh, of of learning losses that that so many kids have suffered. So I mean, I, it's a it's a weak way so, weak way to go after. Mark,
2: Mark, you watched McCain and Bush take each other apart. You watch Obama and Hillary Clinton take each other apart. So you watch Bush forty one and Reagan. You're a little young, but Reagan and Bush took each other apart for a brief time before they combined. So Bob Dole and Bush forty one, they went at it hard. You know, to so is this typical, or do you think that you thought Joe Biden would bring this up to uh, Mark, Governor DeSantis? Not necessarily. Donald Trump, and if, to me, if I'm Trump, all I talk about is the, my strategy to win over moderates, independents, and undecideds, and I don't yeah. punch down. What are your thoughts?
8: I, I this, this is the flaw in in Donald Trump's approach to, to politics, which is that I mean, you, you know, that and the reason why he lost 2020, why he led us to defeat in 2022. Imagine if Donald Trump at the end of the election, even if he didn't acknowledge that Biden had won, had presided over a, 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 a good, peaceful transfer of power, and had spent the last two years reminding people how great things were when he was president and pointing to all of Biden's uh, disasters, and had and done that instead of constantly harping on, on a stolen election. He'd be— Cruising to, to to re-election right now. He would there have would no opponents. He would have no him. opponents. He have no, no opponents in the Republican Party, and he would and he would be cruising to defeat Joe Biden. But he's incapable of doing that. He spent all of his time talking about this this lie that the twenty twenty election was stolen, instead of talking about the truth, which is that he was an incredibly effective president. When you when you went with the mute button on, when you just look at his policy from Operation Warp Speed to the Abraham Accords to taking out Soleimani to the I think something like 57% of of Americans said they were better off now than they were four years ago in the eve of the election. Uh, You know, such such a great record that he can't even bother to talk about it. And compare it to the serial disasters that Joe Biden has unleashed. That's what he should be doing every single day, and he can't seem to bring himself to do it.
2: Well, uh, it looks like he's got 38%. uh, Joe Biden has 38% approval rating, so he's definitely vulnerable. Uh, If this is what it's like before DeSantis gets in, can you imagine what it's like after? It's crazy, but it's going to be fun. (laughs) Uh, Mark Thiessen, thanks so much. Always great. All right. Take care, Brian. All right. Listen, we're monitoring what's going on with the TikTok uh, hearings. We had the opening statement from the CEO. Uh, he was very emphatic, very emotional. He's uh, ready to go, so I cannot wait for some of some of these exchanges. Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
14: Now, as TikTok has grown. We've tried to learn the lessons of companies that have come before us, especially when it comes to the safety of teenagers. While the vast majority of people on TikTok are over 18, one of our, and one of our fastest growing demographics are people over 35, we spent a lot of time adopting measures to protect teenagers. Many of those measures are firsts for the social media industry. We, for, we forbid direct messaging for people under 16, and we have a 16 minute watch time by default for those under 18. We have a suite of family pairing tools so their parents can participate in their teens' experience and make the choices they are right for their family. We want TikTok to be a place where teenagers can come to learn.
2: So that's the CEO trying to plead their case to try to keep TikTok in the U.S., and evidently he's not going to answer any questions because they're a private company on how much they're making. But I was just told between 15 and $18 billion. So can you imagine that? 150 million users, 1 billion worldwide, and we're trying to ban it from here like they did in India. India like they did in the Netherlands, like they're about to do in Italy and Sweden, excuse me, Norway. So now there is a back and forth. The CEO cannot answer definitively and say for sure that they cannot use this device to spy on everyone. They cannot use the device to collect. They have a pledge not to. But that's not enough. They have, they have the capability to do it. Nobody trusts them. And by the way, it doesn't help their case that the Chinese government said it would not be acceptable for tans to be sold in order to stay here. If you are not a Chinese entity, government entity, why are they weighing in? If you are truly a private company, can you imagine Joe Biden saying, "Yeah, I'm not okay with uh, the you know Verizon selling its local subsidiary to the country that they're in, whether it's New Zealand or Sweden"? No, is that nothing to do with them? But it just shows you it's a nationalized company. So, uh, I it's just heartening to see Democrats and Republicans. So I, I don't see any personal vendetta. No one's blowing off steam so far. Just started. But they're pretty much on the same page. So they also are spending about $8 million on lobbying. I guess the third biggest lobby in Washington. So you know that some of these people have been bought and sold. Trent Lott is an example. He's going to bat as a lobbyist for TikTok and others. So you'll see some familiar faces on the team and you wonder what the real deal is. Well, some are being paid. Congressman Bowman just... Everything's racist. We're racist because we want to ban TikTok. Crazy. We're going to talk about another real threat, Russia, and how it relates to China with Bill Browder, Vladimir Putin. Why is he okay with being a junior partner?
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
11: What's your view of Putin? Look, I think he's got grand ambitions. I think he's hostile to the United States. But I think the thing that we've seen is he doesn't have the conventional capability to realize his ambitions. And so he's basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons. And so for us, one of the things we could be doing better is utilizing our own energy resources in the United States. We could be permitting natural gas pipelines from Marcellus, doing a lot in, in in Alaska. That's where he gets all his power, and obviously he's influenced Europe uh, by, by having so much energy. So the way to hit Putin is to hit him with
2: energy. Right, uh, and there's no doubt about it. That would certainly help, but I would say there, there's something else to that, and that is besides energy, because we have basically cut him off, I also think we have to confront his military. And I just can't, I'm a little disappointed that Ron DeSantis doesn't have a more aggressive tone when it comes to Russia, especially they made it easy because you see their alliance right now with China. Bill Barrett joins us now, uh, long term rival of Vladimir Putin, uh, Hermitage Capital CEO, head of the Global McGinsky Justice Campaign, author of Red Notice. Bill, do you, are you satisfied with that answer? Oh uh, a lot of answers, a lot of Republicans now when it comes to Ukraine and the danger of Russia.
15: Well, so um yeah, I, I'm not satisfied with that answer. it's um it surprises me. Um what what you didn't um play was um the written answers that he he um uh he gave to Tucker Carlson where he said that this is a regional territorial dispute that's not um in uh, is not in the US's national security interest and, and that's just plain wrong um uh, if 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 he were president and he acted on that and he basically cut off funding to Ukraine because it wasn't in our national security interests, he would be spending ten, fifteen, a hundred times as much when Russia then moves on to Estonia or Poland, where we are NATO allies, and Putin is not going to stop in Ukraine, and having having people say we should not uh, support Ukraine is just suicidal, in my opinion.
2: And they made it easy, Russia did, by bringing China in and talking about their relationship and for critics to say, well, we got to focus on China, not Russia. Really? It's the same thing. Don't you think it's an easier for people to understand now?
15: Well, I mean, it's not just the same thing, but let's just take their logic to the extreme. So you want to focus on China? Well, Xi Jinping was was in Russia for three days, saying that they have a partnership like no other partnership. So you want to just ignore the junior partner if that's if that's your logic, which I agree. It's it's they are the same thing, and and it's what you can't walk and chew gum. You can't have two enemies. <laughs> We've got two enemies, and that's just the way it is, whether you want to admit it or not. And so I I was um, I, I I I just hope that um, Ron DeSantis. Um, uh, figures this out because, um, uh, you know, if he doesn't, it's it's almost in my mind disqualifying to take that position on Ukraine.
2: So the big story today is the weapons are just painfully slow into Ukraine. They are ready for an offensive. The Russian fell on their face in the winter. They didn't even grab a single town. It's uh, now on the front foot goes Ukraine. But the tanks are arriving too slow. Bill, how vital is it just to arm the people that know how to fight?
15: Well, so here we have this situation where the Ukrainians were totally underestimated from the very beginning. They, I mean, they, they were fighting with duct tape and bayonets when the whole t- t- first thing started, and they begged for weapons. And we started giving them weapons, but we started giving them weapons little little by little, little late, little late, not you know saying, well, we don't want to uh, exacerbate things. We don't want to provoke Putin. And so now we've decided to give them weapons, and the weapons are taking time. And, and it's very, very frustrating. It's frustrating for the Ukrainians, and, and it's frustrating for anybody who is looking to defeat Vladimir Putin, because the Ukrainians, if they were given the weapons that they've been asking for, if they had them in their hands right now, they could really clobber the Russians. The Russians are bad. They're not good at this stuff. They're failing. They're running out of weapons. But the Ukrainians need these weapons. They need them fast, and they need them in large quantities.
2: Bill, have you ever seen Russia in your lifetime so humiliated outside the fall of the wall? And Gorbachev never really felt that way. I mean, they—they are—they should, if they have any legitimate understanding of the battlefield, they have to feel absolutely humiliated.
15: There are there is no there's no question. They've lost 165,000 soldiers dead, probably equal or greater number injured and at, and <clears throat> out of capacity. Um, they've lost about 3,500 tanks. I mean, it's just an enormous number of tanks, airplanes, et cetera. Um, they've been cut off from the rest of the world. Vladimir Putin has now been labeled a war criminal by the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Um, it's, it's the oligarchs are all sanctioned. This is just a total, absolute, crazy, stupid move that Putin made. He's definitely humiliated. But the, the problem with this guy, and I've known how he operates for a long time. I've, I've had my own conflict with him for more than 10 years, is that he gets humiliated. He waits a little while, and then he comes back doubling down with whatever he's got. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it causes damage to his enemies. But don't expect that Putin, because he's humiliated, to say, okay, let's negotiate, let's compromise. He doesn't compromise. He never will compromise. And so the only choice we have as the West in supporting Ukraine is to give them what they need to kick his ass so he, he loses. I mean, he just loses outright. That's what we need to do.
2: And, and just let the people do it because the Ukrainians had a fight. And guess what? Uh, we trained them. And uh, they were getting MREs and blankets, and the Trump people gave them some weapons. Now they got high Mars, and they've been using it effectively. They've been able to adjust in the battlefield. A lot of the weapons we give them, Patriot batteries are going to be arriving soon. And they keep fighting. And it turns out that most Ukrainians, when polled, over 90% of them do want to get, not only do they want the Russians out, they want Crimea back.
15: Well, Crimea is part of Ukraine. They should get it back. It's, uh, r- r- Russia has no legitimate claim over Crimea. And they will get it back as long as we continue to support them militarily.
2: Does Putin, are, Bill, does, does Vladimir Putin legitimately think NATO is a threat to them, to him?
15: Well, NATO is a threat to him now because we're supplying the weapons to Ukraine. NATO was never a threat to him before. I mean, it, it, the, the, whole, the whole idea that, that he started this war because NATO is a threat is an absurdity. It it has nothing to do with NATO. In fact, if he really believes that, then why isn't he not, you know, we have Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Is he he invading Finland and and Sweden? No, of course not. It has nothing to do with NATO. This this war has to do with a dictator who's been around for 22 years. He's worried about his own people getting mad at him and kicking him out. And he wants to create a foreign enemy. And he started a war with Ukraine, who has really no beef with Russia whatsoever. He started this war so that he could then have a foreign enemy, so people could be mad at the foreign enemy and not mad at him. That's what this is all about.
2: Bill Browder, our guest. And, Bill, we had you on a lot at uh, the beginning of the war especially, and we just wanted to find out. We heard the oligarchs were being sanctioned. We heard they were being kicked out of their uh, their penthouses, having their, their yachts taken away. But we haven't heard much about it since. We haven't heard anything about penetrating Vladimir Putin's wealth. What could you tell us?
15: Well, the oligarchs are the ones who hold Vladimir Putin's wealth. <clears throat> and so when we sanction them, we're sanctioning Vladimir Putin. When we freeze their money, we're freezing Putin's money. The problem is that these oligarchs, they all they all got the money in the first place from stealing it. And when someone steals money, they know that someone eventually is going to come to take it from them. And so the first thing they do when they steal the money is they put it in other people's names. They put it in, in Swiss bank accounts, secret accounts. They put it in, in companies owned by trusts offshore, owned by other companies, et cetera. And so there's a lot of unwinding that needs to be done and we're just, just scratching the surface. There's an absolute uh, iceberg underneath of money that belongs to Putin, that belongs to the oligarchs, that needs to be taken. And we need to go after all the people who are surrounding the oligarchs, all of their family members, their trustees, nominees, proxies, et cetera. It's a big job. It's it's a job that the West, that the United States and Europe is, is not used to doing, and so it's going to require a lot of expertise for, for, for everybody to figure out how this money is, is hidden away, and it's just starting right now.
2: But in a way, they were got, got real good at it in stopping these terror groups and they're trying to find a way to find their money and their financing. So I wonder if they could use the same thing to figure out in a settled country like this. Vladimir Putin, looking at him, he doesn't look like the same guy. I know he gets a lot of facial work done. What do people tell you about his health?
15: You know, everybody who said that he's sick, he's dying, I think that's just fantasy, wishful thinking, an easy answer to a really tough question. If you if you were to Google Vladimir Putin cancer, the first articles will show up back in 2013. I've heard rumors for 10 years about that. Maybe he's sick, maybe he's not. I don't know. He looks pretty healthy to me. He was strutting around with Xi Jinping last couple of days. I think that we should just assume he's going to be around for a long time. And the best way to get rid of Vladimir Putin <clears throat> is to have the Ukrainians kick the Russians out of their territory. If that were to happen, the Russian people are going to say, we don't like a loser you know the russian people can tolerate all sorts of terrible stuff but they can't tolerate their strong man being a loser and if putin uh, if his war in ukraine fails so he gets kicked out the russians get kicked out uh, of of ukraine the russian people will say we've had enough of you vladimir putin
2: I hope so. I mean, so far they see 165,000 dead, 200,000 casualties when they leave the bodies on the street. They don't even bury them. The Ukrainians do most of that. So they don't even care about their people. So they're so unarmed. Sometimes they attack with shovels. They're emptying their prisons. So as you forecast the next few months, how do you expect this playing out?
15: Well, I I expect that when the spring offensive starts with the Ukrainian spring counteroffensive, I should say, they're going to get more territory back. I think the Russians won't be able to hold them back. But at the same time, the Russians have really an unlimited number of of soldiers, cannon fodder they can throw into the battle. And so whatever gains the Ukrainians make are going to be held back by just absolute sheer numbers of people, sheer force, sheer waste of, of human life. And so it's not going to be over anytime soon, because whatever gains the Ukrainians make, the Russians will just keep on throwing stuff at it. And as long as they have people, as long as they have money, which they mm-hmm. continue to have, they're not going to be able – this is not going to be an easy, clean kill for the Ukrainians.
2: Uh, and, Bill, you talked about changing the world order for the first time in 100 years. That was this was, was picked up on a mic by Vladimir Putin and and the President Xi. Are they, what are they capable of together?
15: Well, the really scary thing, and the, what worries me more than anything, is if the Chinese decide – that that Russia needs more weapons. And Russia definitely is running out of weapons, and the Chinese could supply uh, offensive lethal weapons to the Russians. And if that were to happen, that would change the balance of power and put Russia back in the driver's seat. And if that were to happen, then there would be a lot more deaths of Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian civilians, and the war may last a lot longer. And um, I'm hoping that the, the Chinese don't do that. And I think that we have some leverage to prevent it from happening. If the Chinese believe that, <clears throat> that we will we'll cut them off economically in different areas for supplying uh, offensive weapons to the Russians, the Chinese may choose not to do it. <clears throat> China is a business country. They don't want their business cut off. They don't want their companies sanctioned. And so we have to make them believe, and we have to believe it ourselves, that we're ready to, um, to, to take a hit and, and not buy Chinese stuff. Um, if they enter this war with, with weapons.
2: Bill Browder, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully one day talk about the ousting and the overthrow of Vladimir Putin and get your perspective because we know what he did to your lawyer. Uh, he tortured and killed um, Magnitsky, and you've taken action since, and you've been all over him, and hopefully you'll get your revenge. Bill Browder, thanks so much.
15: Thank you. All
2: right, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine 866 408 I'll bring back some of the highlights as the CEO of ByteDance, CEO of uh, TikTok, uh, owned by ByteDance, tries to tell everybody you have nothing to fear. Nobody's buying it.
1: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen... The
14: more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. We will also provide unprecedented transparency and security for the source code for the TikTok app and recommendation engine. Third-party validators like Oracle and others will review and validate our source code and algorithms. This will help ensure the integrity of the code that powers what Americans see on our app. We will further provide access to researchers, which helps them study and monitor our content ecosystem.
2: So that is uh, Shu Choi, I think I said that right, the TikTok CEO. He's got a very impressive background, by the way. He's probably brilliant. Served in the military in Singapore, of course. Um, He ended up working for Goldman Sachs, and he's trying to work for Meta for a while, and now he's trying to sell everybody that you can trust TikTok. Believe me, everybody now, 12 years old and up, is hoping that he convinces these lawmakers to leave it alone. The one thing that President Biden obviously doesn't take it serious on St. Patrick's Day, he sat down with a TikTok influencer. President Obama don't doesn't take it seriously, sitting on the floor with a TikTok influencer right before the midterm election. Steve, listen, WABC in New York. Hey, Steve.
10: Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good show as usual. Thank you. Um, I wanted to comment on the the whole um, Russia, China, Ukraine, sure. U.S. situation. The thing is. China's laughing all the way to the bank because we're borrowing money to pay for the arms that we're shipping to Ukraine from China, and in turn, people, are, everybody's getting rich. We don't know where the money's going once it lands in Ukraine. I'm sure it's going into generals' pockets. Uh, I hope not. Intelligence people's I mean, pockets. I mean, I, listen, and, and I think we have to do
2: a better job tracking it, but don't assume that it's going to waste. I mean, there's a reason why Ukraine's uh, doing as well as they're doing. I mean, and not only that, they're adapting in the field a lot of our weapons to to, uh, to continue to reuse things. For example, even the drones, blocking the drones and things that they're doing – so they're showing great innovation, and they're looking to survive. So to think that it's going to all these guys' pockets is uh, – I think the majority – I think that you would have to really uh, really think negatively of Ukraine in a way that I don't think is so, possible judging by the results.
10: With things, when you look at the people that are in Ukraine and the things that they've tolerated, I'm talking about the governments there over the years with the different labs that are going on and the fact that they wanted to, you know, wipe them out. I'm sure they could have done it by now. The reason that they didn't, I'm sure they're getting paid off not to do it Who, either. Who's getting paid. getting paid? The Russians
2: getting paid off not to wipe them out? Yeah. Oh come on, uh Steve. Thanks for the call, Jerry WSKY in Gainesville. Hey Jerry.
8: good morning, Brian. Uh, While I disagree, Governor DeSantis is sort of my preference
11: for candidate, but I do disagree with him and agree with you on the need to uh, support Ukraine. It needs to be a a very robust uh, support, as you suggest. We need to give them what they need to, to fight the war. They're telling us we should give it, and I think it'll end the war much quicker and be a much less dangerous situation than this kind of trolling along for months. I think they could have already won this war by now if we gave them the Uh, all the materials that they needed at the outset, as your prior guest had suggested. We need to get this done, give them what they need, no half measures, and then move on to the next thing, which is China, which is the actual bigger threat. But right now, this is an immediate threat. This is a hot war. We need to get it done and get it finished immediately.
2: So, Jerry, for the longest time, people say get out of the Middle East and focus on China. And that was it. I understand the argument, but you couldn't just ignore what was going on there. Having said that, the Chinese made it easy – For people who believe that Russia and China uh, fighting Russia effectively is a way to uh, stare down China. When when President Xi showed up two days ago and for two days, they were buddies. We're going to work together to reorient the world around us. We're going to use the Chinese currency. All you guys have to do is win. And Vladimir Putin, I need oil and gas. Now, when people want to say we're we're wasting our time uh, supporting Ukraine against Russia, you didn't pay attention to the last two days. They're one entity working together to reorient the world, using each other. Yes, junior partner, absolutely. And do I think that China wishes Russia didn't invade Ukraine? Absolutely. They're showing that they are not nearly the power that everybody thought they were. And economically, they're a mess. And Russia no longer has to be convinced, uh, Europe no longer has to be convinced that Russia is a problem. So they're divorced, hopefully forever.
1: Fox News Headquarters in New York City. Always seeking
2: solutions,
1: never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, Coming to you from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're watching some compelling testimony today. And I'll bring you some of the highlights with the CEO of TikTok. Also, we're watching a, a few other stories, including the possible indictment of the former president of the United States. We have some news on that. Hillian Conway's in studio. I don't know. Don't ask me how much I, I met her. We have a huge budget on the show, so we met her fee. Uh, and then Brian Brenberg, Jackie DeAngelis, and Taylor Riggs will be here, co-host of the FBN show, the Big Money Show. They're going to be in at the bottom of the hour. But before we go any further, let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the
4: stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. TikTok is almost like the new telecommunications infrastructure of the world, if you allow it to be. Would you allow a Chinese company to become or own AT&T and Verizon? No, no. we have laws against that.
2: Uh, yeah, that is Tristan Harris. Ban it. TikTok CEO is on Capitol Hill right now. If they're serious about competing with China, for me, you have to ban this app and start every stop everything coming in overseas. It's possible. Norway, India, Netherlands, and Italy now say yes. I say yes, too.
14: Number two.
5: You know, he was laughing and he was good humored about it and said he kind of liked De sanctimonious so he couldn't spell it. DeSantis says, you know, I got I'm putting points on the board. In other words, he's emphasizing the fact that he has a record in Florida that he's proud of. So he seems content for now to deal with Trump in that way.
2: Britt Hume, instant analysis. Trump team comes out, guns a blazing after DeSantis leveled some subtle shots at the former president. Most of the attacks probably won't stick. We'll go over them with Kellyanne in a matter of moments.
6: Number
1: one,
7: I think Alvin Bragg may be going back to what he initially thought when he first won the job, which was he shouldn't bring this case. So the fundamental question is what changed? President Trump announces he's running for president.
2: Delay, a mystery why a mystery why the grand jury did not meet in New York City yesterday and a mystery why we're not going to get indictment, according to Fox News sources today or a lack of indictment or any type of decision. What is going on behind the scenes? Now, we don't know for sure, Kellyanne, but one thing is pretty clear. It was brilliant last weekend, I believe, for President Trump to come out and say, I'm going to be indicted. Just got to tell you, it screwed up my show on Saturday night. But uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it was it put them on the back foot and they've been unable to recover. Am I right?
3: Yes. And, of course, all the get Trump in the media and on Twitter and elsewhere ran to that as well. They didn't say, oh, well, let's not believe Donald Trump. He's just trying to raise money off of his supporters. Let's wait to see. They are so – obsessed with Trump derangement syndrome, so infected by it. Trump derangement syndrome is real. There is no vaccine, no booster, Brian. And so they went with it too. So everybody got caught up in this. But I think Bragg, Alvin Bragg looks like Alvin Blink today because uh, he's made promises that he's not keeping. I think right. that people had this reasonable expectation that it was imminent. I am one of the very few people who testify before the grand jury uh, in this case. I went twice in the last few weeks. And it's very clear to me that the grand jurors themselves, many of them were very engaged, asking questions, taking notes. But um, based on the questions I received, I think they're still hitting and hoping here. I think they're still trying to build a case based on Michael Cohen's meeting with them 19 times and only testifying for a couple of hours under oath. Right. And you really can't do that for somebody who went to prison for lying under oath, pur- purging himself to Congress. And and look, he went there for, for, for $4 million of criminal tax evasion. Lying to a federally insured bank that carries a maximum of 30 year prison sentence. So they're trying to build this case and they need to think about precedent here. I think Alvin Bragg wants to go down in history as the first person who ever indicted a former president. But they think they have to realize that even never Trump critics have said there's not much of a case here to prosecute and convict him. You're actually going to make the president so did a martyr. And his poll numbers went up.
2: By the way, Alvin Bragg initially yeah, looked at this and said there's nothing there. He threw a flag. What about this letter that says that Michael, Co- Michael Cohen was never reimbursed for that money that he laid out? Okay. What about the fact that you have uh, Robert Costello coming forward saying, Michael Cohen, uh, my, he said I never represented him. Michael Cohen says he never represented me. And he goes, no, no, here's a letter releasing me from the attorney-client privilege with his signature on it. That came out Monday night. So anybody who says, well, like Sammy the Bull turned on John Gotti, right. put him away. Anyone who says that, this guy's not reformed, That doesn't clearly. apply here.
3: That doesn't apply. I was on Hannity with Costello. We were on for a long time because we both testified to the grand jury. And the none of that is, uh, look, I want to say as a campaign manager in 2016, I was thinking about one woman in October, November that year. And her name was Hillary Clinton, not the porn person this is not a campaign finance transaction i don't know what it was the president denied it but most importantly to me i never heard you probably heard stormy daniels name for the first time in earnest when we were already in the white house it came out january 2018 so that's right. 15 months after the election why is this important it's important because it caught my eye because michael cohen came out and said emphatically this affair has been denied by both parties as an nda in place this was a private transaction." Mr. Trump and his campaign never knew. I did it out of the goodness of my heart. So I'm going to go with what he said in January 2018. And that's why they're trying to build this case. And they realize it's easier to do it with a Manhattan Grand jury that may be sympathetic to their cause and against President Trump. But now they're getting cold feet and you have Alvin Bragg taking time to, to produce a three- or four-page letter back to Chairman Jordan and the others are saying, hey, I want you – and some of your assistant DAs in your office to come and testify. How did we get here? How did you resurrect a zombie case that you, Alvin Bragg, said no to, that your predecessor, Cy Vance, said no to, that the Federal Elections Commission, FEC, said no to, and the Department of Justice said no to?
2: There's so much there. A couple of things. I mean, this is the most blatant political event ever. I mean, what, what Letitia James is doing is even worse. Going back over bank records to say, did he inflate the worth of his property in order to get loans that have since been paid back? If he did not run for president, they'd still be begging him to buy golf courses like Michael Bloomberg did over in Queens. <laughs> so this is pure politics. Nobody had any problem with Donald Trump, not Reverend, uh, not Reverend Jesse Jackson, not Al Sharpton. People loved him. I used to go to the apprentice events and I would not even be clear if he was a Republican or Democrat. There were so many celebrities there, so I just think at some point people have to say you're not. There's not going to be a political advantage for Leticia James or Alvin Bragg because we see right through it. I also think it's noteworthy too that Van Jones weighed in and yes. said to back off. Here's cut eleven.
9: It doesn't seem like the right way to go when you look at the history. It's not going to judge Donald Trump based on Stormy Daniels. It's going to uh, judge him based on. The election is going to judge him based on the coup attempt, the insurrection. I think that uh, uh, if I were uh, Alvin, I would wait for Georgia to go first. Georgia, you have the president uh, calling in, trying to change an election. That seems to me the thing you start with, not this.
2: I actually don't think Georgia is that strong either, because if in context, he was saying, look how close I got. I need such amount of votes. I only need 1,000 votes. I don't need 40,000 votes. Show me. That's what he was doing. Now, everyone knows since January 6th and everything leading up to that, I thought that was his worst moment. But I think when you play the context of those calls, especially after talking to Lindsey Graham about the questions he got, I don't think that's going to be a problem either. You have a Democrat district attorney in Atlanta. Who's going to town on that?
3: Well, let's see. Donald Trump's got a lot of legal woes to outrun so far. He has, and he has for years. Um, you know, I'm in I'm in close touch with him. He calls me several times a week. We had dinner recently. And the fact is that nobody likes to be uh, under the gun, paying lawyers, all this money, scrutinized, et cetera. But um, he's not backing down from his race. He's one of the only three announced Republican candidates, Brian. We could talk all day long about who can win, who should run, who's who the donors like. Uh, It's like the lottery. You can't win if you don't play, as they say. you got to go ahead and announce. And for President Trump, I think what's important here is Alvin Bragg and Letitia James here in New York have something else in common. They campaigned affirmatively, promising to get Donald Trump. When you're running for the Attorney General of New York, when you're running for the DA of Manhattan... You, you're, you, you should only make two promises. I'm going to uphold the Constitution and faithfully execute the laws of New York. Period. End of story. You don't promise that you're going to go and get Donald Trump. I think that's impeachable. You and, think and it's also fundamentally fleeting- a problem, that it's an elective office. What, what are yeah, you waiting for an election for? Correct. Well, How they, they all think to- they're going to be governor next. They know is a joke. Uh, you know, Cuomo had to step down. Hochul's a joke. They all want to be governor. This is all – and you said this is about political advantage. But people are paying very close attention to this and they're saying, I'm sorry, the world's on fire. Putin and Xi are meeting. Uh, Putin's in Ukraine. You've got Iran making deals, salivating at Israel's a nuclear capa- capable – Iran and Saudi Arabia. That's it. That's it. And so people are saying, uh, yes, the economy is the number one issue, no question. So I think that this this election honestly is going to be one or lost not on Stormy Daniels, not on TikTok, on who comes out with a robust, right. clear, and crisp economic plan the way Trump did in September 2016. We need that again from these candidates.
2: Kellyanne Conway, obviously our guest. Kellyanne, you do your greatest strategy. You also understand uh, recent political history, especially. Sometimes you got to run against people in your own party. Bush 41 sure. ran against against Bob Dole. Bush forty one ran against Ronald Reagan. You saw Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama take each other apart. Uh, You saw John McCain and George W. Bush. I don't think they ever fully healed their relationship. Now it looks like we're going to have the same bloodletting when it comes to DeSantis and, uh, and Donald Trump. And I see this letter I got last night, and I'm sure you got it. Ron DeSanctimonious is finally admitting he's got to run. And he goes on and says Ron was a big lockdown guy. Um, they were the third worst of a COVID-19 deaths and cases, third worst for a total number of cases. Uh, he was also, when it comes to crime, uh, one of the worst in the country in terms of murder. And so it's running through that uh, Florida was great be, um, before him and after him is not doing great now. Is that the right strategy for
3: a front runner? Well, I like insights over insults. So if he's laying out the facts, then that's important. And Ron DeSantis is going to do the same. He just started this week with our own Piers Morgan. Uh, Again, I think people looked at that interview more for the heat than the light. I thought the best parts of the interview for Ron DeSantis are when he was talking about his wife Casey's valiant and, thank God, successful battle against breast cancer. When he talked about losing his sister at 30, she had a blood clot and eventually succumbed to an embolism. That's tragic. Uh, when he talked about, I think, some of the economic stuff that they're doing there, when he clarified his unfortunate comments about a territorial dispute only in Ukraine and said, oh, wait a second, Putin's a war criminal. You need to do things like that, particularly if you're a sitting governor, Brian, because nobody sees governors as having done what Donald Trump did, which is taking on Putin and Xi and Kim Jong-un in person. Uh, so uh, I, I think the interview was far ranging. It was smart for him to do it. I thought one of the best things he said was, I can win independence. I've done it in Florida. Some polls show him beating Biden among independents. But the fact is, Donald Trump's the front runner, and he's going to have fun with the competition. He Why told me months down? ago, is that punching down? Oh, wait a second. The donors will tell you it's DeSantis or nothing. Um, people would tell you he can win. He's electable. So I don't know if it's punching down. You know, I think, think it's punching across. Of twice. Course. But there, And the reason is because he's punching. He's punching back and he's surfacing and making transparent. We cannot as a party get back to this fiction of electability. It is a nonsense word. It's how many great conservative candidates who didn't have the high name ID, who didn't have the deep funding. Brian got killed over time, not just president, but down the ballot. Donald Trump killed the word electability. We didn't focus on electability pretending I know if you can or cannot win before voters cast a vote, but electoral college is how you do or don't win. You've got to get into Michigan and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin.
2: And how Hampshire, you win over them? Win. You win well, over there by in twenty sixteen and moderates. He did it in
3: 2020 because his campaign was a disaster. And his 2024 campaign will not make those same mistakes. He's got different people in charge than he did in 2020. You like the team he has so far? Yes, I do. I think they're great. I think Susie Wiles is, is magic. And she, you know, Susie Wiles Wants to get, and I don't she's know who Pat, that is. Who, well. She's is. Pat Summerall's daughter, um, the famous uh, broadcaster. Sure. So Susie Summerall Wiles, as her father might say, she's there for three yards in a cloud of dust. Throw a hail mary once in a while. She's there to do the work. And not be, she's a workhorse, not a show horse. And also, she sees what happened in 2020. They had $1.6 billion and proved the old adage to be true, Brian Kilmeade. The fastest way to make a small fortune is to have a very large one and waste most of it. They 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 wasted money on nonsense things like a Super Bowl ad that was a vanity project. People don't even remember what the ad was about. And then they ran out of money to run ads in those swing states towards the end. You just don't do that. You need to combine 2016 where I don't want him to be understaffed and under resourced, but where we had hunger and swagger and where he had joy in the job. He's doing seven, eight stops a day uh, and and do, talking about policy. Combine that with the fact that he did the job. So he's got an incumbent's policy prescription uh, record. Ron DeSantis has it, but he has it in one state. Trump has it for the whole country. And I, I like competition. I like that Ronnie McDaniel had competition. I like that Kevin McCarthy had to go through 15 votes. I like that Donald Trump's going to have competition. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the pro-competition, pro-capitalism party and movement. We should have some competition.
2: Tim Scott going to come in as early as next week. He's great. I love Senator Scott. Will there be a lane for him?
3: There is a lane for him. And if he's smart and he is very smart, he won't put himself in the anti-Trump, never-Trump lane. That's already a crowded bike path. And that's why people are, are are taking a step back. Larry Hogan said he won't run. We'll see what Chris Christie does. Chris Nunu, for example, Nikki Haley is in the non-Trump lane. Vivek Ramaswamy will tell you he's in his own lane, but it's probably the non-Trump lane. DeSantis has the ability to say, "I'm in the Ron DeSantis lane." And here's what it's about. I think Tim Scott should do the same thing, and he should. He had the best answer so far of any candidate running when asked the question, "What policy differences do you have with Donald Trump?" And he said, "Probably not many." I supported his agenda. I voted with him. I'm so glad he was our president. I love the America First agenda. And I helped bring it to bear. That's a smart answer because it's a truthful answer. Um where where I think he's going to say is I'm going to play in South Carolina, I'm going to have an advantage there, so maybe I can lock up one of these early states that Donald Trump won right. all fifty electoral votes last time. And
2: Tim Scott's a rock star in South Carolina. He's yeah, great and yeah. he'll have
3: a big national donor base. I was with him recently. He's got a he's got a clear message. Listen, I think you let a thousand flowers bloom. Donald Trump does not want to stay on the debate stage by himself. He thinks the more the merrier.
2: Uh, I know. That's the uh, conventional wisdom. Uh, I want to get to your take on TikTok when we come back. and Conway for a few more minutes. You listen to Brian Kilmeade show. We're still waiting to see if an indictment does come down. Then the circus begins.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
14: We have heard important concerns about the potential for unwanted foreign access to U.S. data and potential manipulation of the TikTok U.S. ecosystem. Our approach has never been to dismiss or trivialize any of these concerns. We have addressed them with real action. Now, that's what we've been doing for the last two years, building what amounts to a firewall that seals off protected U.S. user data from unauthorized foreign access. The bottom line is this, American data stored on american soil by an american company overseen by american personnel we call this initiative
2: shochu is the ceo of tic tac by the way his background is extremely impressive he's been a standout his whole life he used to work at goldman sachs but he's definitely trying to alleviate the concern that many many people have including me that This is going to be a tool for China to get information on us and be able to manipulate the public with their messaging and their news, for example, that Taiwan deserves to be invaded. Uh, With me right now is Kellyanne Conway. So we see Democrats and Republicans in many cases on the same page here. I think they're on the on the track to be banned. You think that's a mistake, Kellyanne?
3: Let me back up. I believe that this hearing was riveting. And the chairwoman, Kathy Morris-Rogers, this is Energy and Commerce, did a fantastic job, as did Frank Pallone, the ranking member from New Jersey, uh, with whom I agree on very little. But they were both really giving this TikTok CEO a run for his billions of dollars. I also thought the TikTok CEO was very prepared. He gave statistics that maybe many Americans didn't know. Most TikTok users are over 18, Brian, not under 18, that there is um, a way to limit for 60 minutes an under 18 user That they're headquartered in Los Angeles, California, everyone. That's in the United States of America and that you can't access TikTok in China. Um, What do I think of a ban? I'm not a big outright ban kind of person. And listen, I'm a mother of four teenagers. I understand the corrosive impact of TikTok. And I worked in a White House where we had briefings. I had a TSSI, Top Secret Security. We had briefings, Brian, where they'd pick up our telephones and say, this is a microphone for the Chinese. Turn it off. Put it in a lockbox. So I get it all. I'm very concerned about these forced technology transfers. I'm very concerned about them knowing our data. I think the better maybe middling ground would be to consider U.S. ownership yeah. of TikTok. By the way,
2: the Chinese government just weighed in and said, we're not for We're not for selling, that. right. Yeah, we're so, not for sale. But why do they care? Can you imagine? We're not for if, sale. Yeah.
3: But we that, tried that in the Trump administration. I think Microsoft was interested. We used to get calls from a bunch of people.
2: Kellyanne, thanks so much. See you soon.
3: You got it. Thank you.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
16: We're very focused on getting inflation down, uh, and uh, because we know in the longer run that that is the thing that will most benefit the people we serve. That's how we can have a long. You know, we've had very strong labor markets through these long expansions that we've had.
2: That is Jerome Powell, who is a motivational speaker. You can tell by his tone. He really gets people fired up. Uh, He was talking about why they raised rates yesterday with me in studio, someone that could explain it even better with more enthusiasm because they like each other. Brian (laughs) Brenberg, Jackie DeAngelis, Taylor Riggs, not in that order. But if you're watching on Fox Nation, you know who's who. Uh, we're all excited about, uh, you guys are co-hosts of the Big Money Show, 1 o'clock. So I got you in your pre-game mode. Pre-game, here we go. Uh, now, did you guys just wake up or have you been studying, looking no, at the numbers? we've been <laughs> up
13: all morning studying, preparing. We love inflation. You... We're pumped about it. <laughs> we can get so jammed. Right.
2: And did you think it was transitory too? Were you worried <laughs> it was going to go away so quick? <laughs>
13: <laughs> the real people on the ground knew from day one this wasn't transitory.
2: And you guys are the real people. The real – yeah,
0: and this is, is this your second pot of coffee today is that – you know because you've been here since <laughs> like 4 a.m. we getting ready for this. So uh,
2: let's just talk about what happened in terms of the economy. We're watching the TikTok CEO try to keep his company here, over 100 million users, 1 billion uh, worldwide. Already Norway, uh, Norway, the Netherlands, it looks like Italy and India have banned this mm. app. Kellyanne Conway was just in here saying, I don't like the idea of bans because it's China – But do you sense? I guess Brian, I could start with you. Do you sense that there's a push in this country to divest from that country to the point where it's going to affect what we invest in? Well, no, nobody believes that the solutions
0: that the Chinese company is giving are going to work. You know, so they're saying they want to do this Project Texas thing and Oracle will watch over your data and don't worry, we won't abuse it. You know, and I think a lot of people say, well, and I agree with them actually. Well, how in the world can you guarantee that? And we're learning new things every day. So we learned yesterday that. ByteDance had these pixels on government websites that allowed them to track the movement of people on these websites. That's brand new. We didn't even know about that right. one. And Two these are, reporters were tracked. And these are government websites. So, you you know, what are you doing on there? Renewing your driver's license, paying your taxes. And all of a sudden they've got a window into what you're doing. So you can kind of forgive people for saying, you know what, I, I just don't think – you're taking good care of my data and i don't i don't think that putting oracle in the middle of that's going to make a difference
17: and i
13: kind of agree that Maybe a full outright ban isn't the solution because, as we've talked about on our program, it's sort of this whack-a-mole approach where you don't like TikTok, so you ban it. Well, guess what? There are thousands of other companies that are going to come up in the same way that are going to become just as popular. So what's a more comprehensive way to think about companies that come from China that are gathering data? But banning one company I think solves one whack-a-mole problem when 13 other squirrels could pop up.
17: I agree with that. Um, And generally, I believe in people's ability to make choices for themselves. So to have that liberty that I think probably Kellyanne was referencing, that bans don't work, you can't tell people what to do. But having said that, we do have a systemic problem with China that we have to address, and we have to talk about how the Chinese – And their agents are doing business in this country. That includes TikTok, that includes buying Chinese farmland, um, that includes- American
2: farmland, China buying it, right?
17: I'm sorry, that's what I meant. Um, That includes how we trade together. Um, I think it was something that President Trump was trying to address with the tariffs, right? And we've backed off that a little bit, but you see that China's been emboldened as a result of this administration and its policies. Now teaming up with Vladimir Putin is taking this to a a complete another level as well. So I think we have to look at TikTok, but about How are we addressing China and their actions here? So I
2: don't know if you guys on your show talking about chat Have mm-hmm. you discussed no, that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's what Tristan Harris was saying about what really worries him about where this is heading. He doesn't think anyone's figured it out yet, and it's dangerous.
4: There are ways of getting this right, and the CEOs and the people inside the companies have actually t- – I mean not the CEOs, but people inside the companies came to us and said, Tristan and your team at Center for Humane Technology, will you help slow this down? So the reason I'm here with you right now, I, I wouldn't come to New York and I wouldn't be here, um, except because people inside the company said, we think this is going too fast and it's happening too recklessly. Can you help create some friction? Because it's not up to one company to slow down. If, they, if one company slows down, the other ones just rush in and take the place.
2: What do you think about that, uh, Taylor?
13: I think when Elon Musk, who was one of the creators of open AI that then went on to f- look at chat GPT when he even says he's worried about some of this, that's sort of something that will perk my ears up that I will listen to. So I agree. I think chat GPT can be a great tool, but when we're thinking about replacing students so they don't learn how to write essays or whatever. I agree. I think we've talked a lot about it on our show about inherent biases within AI, some of the problems that come from that. And so when you're on the rules of the road, what, what are those rules? What are the speed limits? You can't just build this highway and blow through it without having some parameters and some speed limits around it.
0: Well, you, here's what happens with a lot of technology. It's, it's a build it first and then realize we don't quite know what we've built. That, that happened with, with phones, that's happened with social media, that's happening with AI and chat GPT. It is very telling to me when the guys who create the thing go to somebody else and say, can you create some friction because this we guy, have no Altman, idea. Brian
2: said, I'm scared and you should yeah. be glad that I'm scared.
0: Well, so what it, what it shows you actually is the, the bigger challenge with things like AI is going to be pushing back against it. We're going to need the most creative minds in the world actually trying to figure out now how to contain this. But let that be a lesson to us, OK? When we get really enamored with new technologies, the first question we should ask is, did these guys know what they were building? And so far, the yeah. answer has been no.
17: And so I would just build off that and say the TikTok example relates to what Brian is saying. TikTok showed up. Everybody loved TikTok. They got on it. And then we started to realize maybe we have a problem here. And now we're backtracking, trying to fix it versus with um, chat chat. GPT, we do have an opportunity to think about how it should be used, how it should be regulated. Um, and again, I'm not for big regulation. But having said that, these are questions that the industry has to answer, and doing it in a, um, a proactive way is, is probably a better. Before approach. China
2: gets it, because they don't—they have a more of—they don't have our best interests in mind. Right. We look at this thing for humanity. Yeah, we're self—you know—we're self-interest. Got it. But we're not looking at crates as some evil. Uh, empire, which I think China would really subscribe to. Evidently, the people at Facebook leaked some of this technology out, and it got into, I believe, 4chan, mm-hmm. and now China basically got a year and a half leap in their uh in their intelligence apparatus it's so
17: funny because the first time we talked about chap gpt i actually didn't know what it was until we did the segment on it right and so we were putting something Mm. in we did a test run and i was reading what the the you know what spit out and i think we just asked about like you know, who watches Fox Business or what's Fox Business all about? And the nuances in the words, Brian, in this very benign answer that it gave, that's what I keyed in on. I said, this already sounds very biased to me. Mm-hmm.
13: Remember, what did it say? Like, some people, some people might find it helpful. Right. <laughs> and I thought to myself,
17: oh, my God, really, Robot? Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like that it passed the bar.
13: Kudos to right. the chat She's, TV. She uh, just wants to use it when she takes the bar <laughs> exam. But, That's but, all it
0: is.
2: But here's the other thing is it didn't originally. It got better. It right? got better. Right. It and, took yeah, time. Guys, I want you to hear this. They talk about the new class of intelligence uh, right. and its capabilities. This is Tristan again Cup 33.
4: But I really want your listeners to know, and this is really critical to get – is that underneath the hood, there is a new class, new generation of AI that was invented in 2017. I won't bore you with the details technically, but it started getting deployed in 2020. It's called a transformer. And what that did is it treats the entire world as language. And, And then you just pump it full of more language, the entire internet. So you have this AI read the entire internet, all PDFs, all images, all text, all, you know, everything that's ever been written. And it gets sucked into this one model. And the thing about this new class of AI is the more data you give it, it suddenly it pops out with emergent capabilities that no engineer even knew were going to pop out. Oh. Yeah, this is what's okay. So this a is different than the phone, Brian.
0: A little different, but it's but it's similar. This is what it does. So so this is a system that's not based on wisdom. It's based on volume. Whatever volume you pump in, that will win in this system. The only wisdom embedded. Are the guardrails that are built into the AI. And that's coming, again, back to the earlier point, from the guys who don't know what they built. Which means it is it's absolutely critical that the the folks in this country who are in charge of the guardrails understand this. But let me just point out, like with TikTok, almost half the people on the Democrat side of the ticket who ran for office this last term use
2: TikTok mm-hmm.
0: in their campaigns. Okay. Mm-hmm. The president
2: used it on St. Patrick's Day. So
0: that doesn't give me a lot of um, confidence that the folks asking the questions even today in the hearing really understand. There's a lot of heat today, no question about it. But there's not a lot of light. We've got to have a lot more light on this, because right now, otherwise, it's just going to be the volume of stuff generated in the world that dictates what happens. With the you.
2: host of the Big Money Show is here. It's uh, Taylor, Jackie, and Brian. Their show starts at one o'clock today. When we come back, I'm uh, going to find out what's on your show, and also have you build on what I should have done before. And that's build on what Jay Powell said yesterday, and how the economy is responding today. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
16: If we need to raise height, raise rates higher, we will. I think for now, though, we we, as, as I've mentioned, we see the likelihood of of credit tightening. We know that that can have a you know an effect on the macroeconomy, on demand, on labor market, on inflation, and we're. We're going to be watching to see what that is. Uh, and we'll also be watching it, what, what's happening with inflation and in the labor market. So we'll be watching all those things. And, of course, we will We will eventually get to tight enough policy to bring inflation down to 2 percent.
2: So that is uh, J-PAL yesterday. Uh, Brian Brandberg, Jackie DeAngelis, Taylor Riggs are here. If you're watching on Fox Nation, you're seeing them. You'll see them on FBN shortly, the Big Money Show at 1. So I guess, uh, Jackie, if you want to start, what do you think you, what was your takeaway yesterday? It was he feels the economy's healthy enough, and the banks don't have them that worried to not raise rates. Is that the line of thinking that you have?
17: I think so. Actually, I think Jay Powell did the right thing yesterday. I think the economy needs the 25. I think the tightening that's coming as a result of the what we're seeing with the banks, um, is having definitely an impact. So you add those up and, and you kind of get the effective 50 that we were looking for. I think he also needed to forecast and, and, and reassure the market that the banking thing isn't bigger. Um, if he paused completely, they might've read into it that way. Um, so having said that it's always hard to be Jerome Powell. It's always hard to raise rates. But, um, after I slept on it, I said, I think he did the right thing. Do you think he did the right thing or the, the best thing he could do in in that circumstance. Given that hand, yeah. Yeah. I
13: think he sort of reiterated what the market maybe today is reacting to is inflation is still the priority. They've somehow ring-fenced this regional banking crisis. Maybe it's a couple one-offs for now. So we're tackling inflation. That's been our main goal. The only other thing, though, that he hinted at is that they're looking at maybe now three rate cuts next year. So we're getting hints of that sort of recession. Did he say that? When you look at the dot plots, and I don't want to get too wonky and we hate the dot plots. When you sort of look at how they are forecasting in the coming years, you could see that there are rate cuts coming soon, which means maybe we're near sort of the end of this cycle and maybe markets are relieved about that.
0: And I think one of the things that's pointing to is this realization that you've got a credit crunch potentially this year. So all this banking turmoil – creates a situation where a lot of banks are going to say, you know what, we're not going to lend as much as we have because we want to make sure our balance sheet looks good. And so the Fed's saying, you know what, we might be getting into a credit crunch because of all of this. And if that's the case, you got recession. And if you got recession, they're going to start thinking about rate cuts. I think that's where all that comes from.
2: Jackie, is it conventional wisdom that he was too slow to raise rates and he's too fast in raising rates?
17: I think he was too slow to raise rates. I think he wanted to believe that inflation was transitory. Um, I think think he believed it. I do. I think we came out of a pandemic that was a once in 100 year event and and he thought that it would cool and it didn't. And also the administration at the same time, Powell didn't know that they were going to keep passing these spending bills and they were just going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. That sort of got out of hand pretty quickly, too. Um, So I think that was a big mistake on his part and people are calling him out for it, you know, Um, and and he will have to sort of live with that. Then he had to play catch up and he had to go really fast. Mm -hmm. And that was difficult because the American consumer was suffering when inflation was at nine percent, just still suffering at six percent. So it's a tough, I always say, I wouldn't want to be Jerome Powell. And I think, you
13: know, with Powell and the United States in general, we had been Itching. We would have been thrilled to even get to two percent inflation. We've been trying for forty years to get some sort of inflation, and we couldn't. And so we've sort of been talking that if you're an emerging market country, Argentina, where inflation's a hundred percent, you know what inflation is like because it smacks you in the face every day. We hadn't had inflation for forty years. It was almost hard to recognize because. We'd been searching for it, and it never well, showed up. What do you up.
2: mean with searching for it? You, nobody wants inflation, do they?
13: You want, on average, 2% inflation over the long run. And there were times coming out, even of 2008, when we couldn't even get up to 2%. And so when it sort of finally smacked us in the face, it's almost like these developed countries. Um, I'm thinking Europe or you know Britain and the ECB and, and the bank that governs Europe, it almost
17: was unrecognizable to us So i think it just took us longer to respond and i think that's a really good point and that's why rates were zero right because the fed at that time said i need to stimulate the economy mm-hmm. to get inflation up and even at zero they couldn't really get it there yeah
0: well the other problem you have when you don't have inflation for a long time is a lot of kind of kooky theories about the economy can start to bubble up because times are good MMT. that was modern <laughs> monetary theory. oh it doesn't even matter we're never going to have inflation and we tried that and boom, we got inflation with a bunch of people in charge who'd never really had to deal with.
2: It so before. we got Credit Suisse who so has basically got forced to be bailed out by UBS. Mm-hmm. You have the Signature Bank and then you have uh, the – what is it? The New Republic Bank right across the street from us is one of the First, brands, Republic, First Republic.
13: It's teetering.
2: Um, that's, a, that's a magazine. New Republic, I think. <laughs> they might have a bank. I don't yeah, know. I don't know how they're doing financially. Uh but having all said all that, what, I'm, what I was stunned by is when Silicon Valley Bank exposed their board, nobody's got banking right. experience. Yep. And the guy yep. who's CEO is also in the San Francisco Fed. And then we find out in 2019, they warned him, we don't like your balance sheets. How many times are we going to have a bank board with no qualifications?
17: That's all true. And also true is the fact that they knew all about that. That wasn't a yeah. smack in the face to anybody right. or something, a secret that had to be so uncovered. So why is that a big
2: deal? Why did they have – why did that CEO be able to sleep at night knowing this whole thing could fall apart on him?
17: The same way Bernie Madoff slept at night, right? People do, um, and they continue to do it if they're not checked. You know, we were discussing – regulation in our meeting this morning uh, amongst ourselves and th- this notion of the regulators knew, but they did nothing. And what does this administration want to do? Just add more regulations. So you want to put more people on the payroll to do nothing. How to take the people you have and have them you know, be a little bit more efficient. And when they find red flags like this, do something.
13: It wasn't the regulation. It was the enforcement of it that was lacking the guy on the board didn't
2: enforce himself on his own on his own (laughs) lacking enforcement there There
13: were california state regulators who were asleep there were new york state regulators who were asleep where was the san francisco fed i mean there were a lot of people asleep at the i just can't
2: imagine being in a meeting saying if he keeps on raising rates how will that affect us and when you get the answer is play it out worst case scenario you don't play it out worst case scenario brian i I understand well you know they
0: didn't have a Chief Risk Officer in the company, for like nine months before this happened. But you know, I think there was also, and this is maybe just me, but I think there was kind of a shared understanding that SVB was doing all the right things. They were backing all the right companies, right? They, they, they they were Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters. So it's kind of like, you know what? Don't worry. That was their risk strategy, the political risk strategy.
2: So we, in our meeting, we're gonna we decide to have the music gradually get louder. (laughs) So who's gonna be on your show? Just you guys. You guys are enough.
0: Oh, uh, who do we have today? We have Mark Warner today. We're going to talk about TikTok. We're talking about banks. uh,
13: Housing in Florida. Housing in Florida. Katrina campus.
2: All at 1 o'clock on FBN. Brian, Taylor, Jackie, thanks.
9: Thank you.